Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Vita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans into space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. Today, for episode 11, we'll be speaking with Margaret Gabriel, Global Head of Talent at CoinFund. Welcome, Margaret. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited about this conversation. Uh, so let's begin. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and what got you into crypto? For sure. So I have been in the talent, I call it the talent and people space for about 10 years. So um, started my background in mental health counseling, thought I wanted to be a therapist and do um, psychology. But what I figured out quickly was I just loved working with larger groups of people in the corporate space. But um, a lot of that experience and training has set me up well to do what I do now, which is to to work with a human side of business and started out my career really in recruiting. So I worked at Fordham University doing undergrad admissions, then popped over to Google, was at Google for four years, um, which was an incredible experience and really learned how to recruit top talent and drive really evidence-based um, hiring decisions there. Google also, just more germane to our conversation today, actually is where I really learned about um, veteran hiring. Google has an incredible program around um, hiring veterans and bringing that, that level of skill to Google, which was amazing. And I actually worked really closely with one of the women who ran that entire program, which was amazing to work with her under her leadership. And then um, my story into crypto is, is interesting. I was at Google um, in my fourth year there and really actually got pretty interested in the whole topic of women and investing. Um, and at the time, I had really observed that myself included, my peers were a little, I would say, trepidatious around just investing in general. Um, felt kind of like that the investing world traditionally wasn't for them, felt a little excluded from the space, wasn't really, weren't really sure what to do with the money that they were earning um, at Google. And so we started this really small, really welcoming group of women just getting really comfortable with understanding what we don't know and starting to teach each other just about the basics of traditional investing. And at the time, my director of that group heard about our the meetings we were having and she came to one of those conversations and she said to us, I'll never forget this, she, was, she sat down with this probably group of around six uh, women at Google and said, you know, go max out your 401k, go learn the difference between index funds and mutual funds and the basics, but you should really learn about this Bitcoin thing. Um, and this was right before the 2017 bull run, that first like really um, kind of like cosmic rise that Bitcoin had at the winter of 2017. And so that was when like, I got the bug and um, partnered with her to learn more about what she was doing. And she and her husband were really really early investors in Bitcoin and crypto kitties. And um, she ended up getting recruited to Gemini to lead their people function, um, the crypto exchange. And I followed her over there in 2018 and spent four years really just leaning into all things crypto, but 
specifically working on the talent within crypto. And, you know, in 2018, this was when we were really trying to, and other companies as well, were trying to hire traditional web two, traditional TradFi people into this brand new ecosystem and this brand new skill set and, and solve really novel problems, which was really fun. Most people didn't have a crypto background then coming into to Gemini. And um, we grew that company from 100 to almost 900 people in four years, which was meteoric, obviously, and really, really learned a lot um, helping the company do that. And then joined CoinFund, where I've been for the past three and a half, three months, feels longer. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my story. Is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah, and we're so we're thrilled to have you on yeah. board. It made an incredible difference from day one. Um, so, Margaret, do you have any? Uh, I think your grandfather was a vet. Is that right? You want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, both my grandfathers actually. Um, so, my father, my my dad's dad, um, was an Italian American, um, second generation Italian American, and he was actually a doctor um, for, during World War II, and he served. Um, in Fiji, actually, um, on submarines out there and during World War II. So he was from the medical side. Um, so aiding, supporting, um, helping wounded soldiers, but living under uh, underwater, which is really interesting, and out kind of in Polynesia in the, in the, in the Fiji area. Um, and then my grandma at the time, she wasn't a veteran, but she was also involved in the effort. She was a translator for CBS as well during the war. Um, so they were both pretty actively involved. And then my other grandpa, my mom's um, father was a Marine actually, just like you. And he served um, after high school. Um, and then when he exited the Marines, went into the police force and was actually a homicide detective in Harlem for his the rest of his career. Wow, fascinating. Wow. All right, so what does the global head of talent at CoinFund do? Um, tell us about your role and, and what you've been up to. Yeah, so I really describe my function as having two equally important parts that are that are complementary. So, on the one hand, you know, one of my biggest responsibilities is just making sure our CoinFund team, you know, of thirty plus people, is a super highly engaged, really high performing group of individuals who are working together on a common mission to make CoinFund amazing. And so within that part of my function, I am helping train and coach our leaders. I am running our performance management processes. I'm helping with cultural initiatives. Um, I'm meeting just day to day with our individuals and making sure people feel engaged and excited and removing any barriers for them to do their best work at the company. I'm also helping us run any of our key searches uh, that we have open. We have a few. Um, and so a lot of my time is spent, again, on, on the CoinFund family and making sure we're humming along and, and excelling. And then a huge part of my position, and I would say this is really, from my experience, a testament to CoinFund and a part of our just our whole values um, as a company and the expectations for everybody is to ensure that our portfolio companies are successful. And so each of us at CoinFund plays out that responsibility in different ways. So our investment team is helping them on potentially areas around fundraising or product market fit. We have our CMO who might be helping them on branding and marketing efforts. And I'm pulled into conversations with our 
portfolio founders and their teams to ensure that they're tackling their people and talent problems. So that could look like anything from one-on-one coaching of a founder who just needs to think about how they can be a better leader for their growing team. It might look like helping them hire um, and figuring out how they should be thinking about scaling their team or building their own leadership team. Um, it means hosting some trainings um, for those portfolio companies to ensure that they think about their mission and vision correctly, that they learn how best practices around hiring or feedback. Um, and I, I'm there to help them you know, find talent. Um, which is a huge, a huge undertaking. We have, they have hundreds and hundreds of roles open on our portfolio companies right now. And there's such a need for talent in, in Web3 in general. Um, and so that's been super rewarding and really fun. Um, and you know, a lot of our founders will say things like, code is easy, people are hard. And a lot of the people challenges are actually kind of the sticky ones that they have to work through. And it's, it's really been an honor to help them navigate those those challenges. So you said hundreds and hundreds of jobs. Yeah. Last I checked, I think we have like 500 jobs open and, and, you know, just keep in mind, we have to make sure all those are updated and they're taking down roles and, and putting them back up as needed, but they are hundreds of roles open for our portfolio companies. Yeah. Super exciting. I mean, what an area of growth, uh, this industry that we work in is having, it's, it's, it's so amazing every day. Um, so many of our listeners are still in mm -hmm. the military. They're probably going to be getting out and transitioning in the next year or so. Uh, what would you recommend they do to prepare themselves for this next journey? Sure. I have so many thoughts on this, but I think one thing I'll say in general is, um, you know, like any person looking to, to start a new, into a, to break into a new industry, whether you're a veteran coming into civilian spaces, whether you're wanting to make a job change from one industry to the next, I would say the two most important things are first, just learning as much as you can about the industry that you think you want to get into. Um, and that means informational conversations, resources that you can just bury yourself in, books, articles, happy to share, by the way, any, any suggestions with you, Chris, afterwards that you can send to your listeners. But if you're looking to be in Web3, and crypto, it means just digging into it as much as you can. I think, you know, there's a saying that like to be good at something, you have to be interested in it first. And so just making sure you really understand what it is that the industry does and the problems they're trying to solve and ensuring that really like aligns with what you want to do. Um, and then secondly, and this is like the, the same advice I would give anybody, whether they're, again, a, a veteran or not, is to just start meeting as many people as you can. And I think the world of work is... Um, constantly changing, but one thing is remains the same, which is so much opportunity is relationship based, um, and who you meet and who you connect with and who can vouch for you and who can advocate for you are, are going to be, I think the, the tried and true ways to just gain access to opportunity. Um, and so building your network, listening to this podcast and reaching out to Chris and reaching out to other veterans who have made the move into the civilian space, into industries you're interested in. Um, I tend to find that kind of like alumni networks, people really want to help um, other individuals. And so I would say the more people you can expose yourself to who can advocate for you is just going to go. I mean, it's going to take you places that you couldn't have if you were trying to do this alone. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's a search for people and it starts with a network. And I'd also suggest that 
that networking is a career long focus. Like you just don't stop networking ever. It opens doors. And the other thing that a lot of veterans don't realize is just how big and robust their network is. You know, we have so many veterans that, trans that, that transition every year. It's not easy. We've all been through it and, you know, we can relate and, and we're always here to help. So engage that network. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's getting easier with some of the technology uh, that that's coming into, uh, that people can use now that, that many of us never had. For sure. So it's historically you, you, you want to get a job, you got to cobble together a resume. Um, would love to know your tips. Like my personal experience when I transitioned, like my brother-in-law was at Harvard business school and I'm like, dude, send me the format. Cause I don't even, I don't know how to write one of these. And I, and I eventually cobbled it together. And you know, everyone that you show a resume to is going to have some advice and feedback and tell you that it's all wrong. Um, would love to know your thoughts about resume writing and is it, is it important to do in Web3? And then also now we've got LinkedIn, mm -hmm. right? And LinkedIn is in a way shortcuts that that resume. How do you think about the old physical resume versus the LinkedIn approach? And like, what are keys to being successful in, in both of those endeavors? Totally. So we're, just a word of warning, everything I share is my opinion and like my, my perspective. And so always take that. I just always encourage people to get multiple sources of input and, and weigh that equally. But um, I think there is so much wasted agony and time spent on resumes, to be honest, of, of, from all candidates, not just not just individuals who are trying to make a change. Um, and I would say when employers are looking at a resume or experience, they're think about how how little time people have in general. Um, they are quickly looking to just see like, where has this person worked? And does that align with the needs of the role that I have open? Right? Am I excited by where this person has spent time? How long they've spent time there? Those are the things that are really important. Um, the like phraseology of certain bullets, et cetera, I think are not worth you spending hours and hours of time on, to be totally honest, as long as there's not glaring errors. You wanna show, um, of course, your impact uh, that's really important. So I think where you've spent the time and then those precious bullets should have really valuable data around the impact that you've had. So a lot of resumes you'll see are really wordy, really jargony, and that just basically is, is poor writing, right? It's fluff. Um, no one wants to read jargon. We want to see impact. And so that might look, might look like um, data, right? Um, evidence, things that you've done, things that made a really material difference for, you know, whatever job you were holding, whether that's again, military or otherwise. Um, but remember that your employer has a really specific problem that they're trying to solve. And they're trying to see if you could be that person to solve that problem. So you just want to showcase where were you, where did you spend your time and what was the impact that you had? Um, format wise, I really think there are so, I see every format under the sun now. And I think like simple is your friend. The only time I've seen, you know, really like funky resumes um, is for roles. Like if you're looking to get into design, if you're looking to get into product and tech, you know, the, the aesthetics will matter a little bit more because that's the industry you're trying to break into. But I think you can't go wrong with a really simple resume that just highlights your skills, um, where you've worked, the time you've spent there, and the, the impact that you've made is, is super important. Um, the other thing I would say um, for, for our audience specifically, I've sometimes heard 
you know, when I worked with a couple of veterans in the past and, and at Google too, sometimes I, I notice, and Chris, I'd actually love to get your perspective on this, um, but sometimes I notice this, this tendency to, um, to try to almost like hide the experience or to try to make up for the experience in some way and feel like, well, I've served in the military and I don't really have the product experience or the Web3 experience. And so I'm trying to figure out this way to present myself that's in a way that's going to be attractive to the employer. And my response to that has always been like, we should be seeing your experience as a 150% asset, something that like is you should want to shine forward versus like try to shy away from or explain away. And just like any other relationship that you're trying to make with somebody, think about this. Like if you were going out to meet, to make a new friend or to make a new acquaintance or a new relationship of any kind, you want somebody who understands how special you are and wants to be in that relationship with you and sees those things as an asset. And you want to be at the right employer who sees those, that military experience as a true asset, not something that you've been successful in spite of. So I think my guidance for anyone in the military is to, of course, be able to speak about transferable skills. And we can, we can talk about that next, but I really, um, I hate to see anyone who has served feeling like they need to kind of explain away their experience or try to twist it to be something that an employer wants when you really, the right employer will see it as an incredible asset. And that's the place you want to end up anyway. I couldn't agree more. I, the, the resume, I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of military resumes in my life. And the, the one thing that I never loved was when they, they, when folks try to translate their resume too much and like, so battery commander, that's equivalent to X. And so they downplay like the company commander piece and, and upplay some civilian equivalent that really isn't correlated. I agree. Like stand behind your military accomplishments. And I think you said it right on showcase. Um, we talk about this all the time with any candidate, right? Track record right? Showcase like a real track record, uh, uh, evidence, success, use numbers. And that translates in the next thing. Well, I think we did an interviews here next, but like the whole purpose of a resume is to get an interview and then it's about storytelling. Right. And then that's where a lot of that translation can come. And there's a lot of research that goes into having a successful interview. Uh, Margaret, before we go on to interviews, yeah. um, any, any tips on LinkedIn profiles, things people should do or, or not do? Yeah, I think, I think it follows, like, I think about the LinkedIn profile very similar to the resume, which is keep it simple, make it easy for the, for the viewer to get excited about you. And I think this is like my, my, I think the biggest skill anyone can learn is empathy. And what I mean by that is what's it like to be the person I'm talking to, or I'm trying to talk to. And so think about being the viewer of your resume or the reader of your resume. Would you get excited about it? Would you, is it easy for them to understand, right? So like, I think a really good um, best practice is to have somebody who has not seen it, who's a trusted friend or advisor to give you feedback on it, um, especially somebody outside of the military. So if you have a friend who's a civilian or a friend who's at a company that you really respect, have them review it and make sure that they can say to you, oh, I understand what you did. I under Even though I'm not in the military, I get it from your LinkedIn profile. Um, the positions you held and the impact you had. And that's a good litmus test. You want to get a second pair of eyes. Um, and again, like simple, simple 
and easy to understand the impact. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is don't be afraid to, to throw your uh, your awards on there, your personal awards. A lot of veterans are very humble, but you know mm. what? If if you have earned a Navy Accommodation Medal, Navy Achievement Medal, that means something. And um, I wouldn't hide behind it. Like, yeah. Throw it on. The other, my, my thing I'll say, the other thing I'll say really quickly, too, with LinkedIn, as I'm sure a lot of folks know, or um, LinkedIn is, is becoming, I mean, it's becoming more and more um, like a social media uh, tool. And I think what can be valuable, too, about that is there's this really great opportunity for people to start sharing like posts and writing and almost it almost is becoming in some ways kind of like um, medium where people can write like blogs for example and I don't think it's though they're that long form but you can certainly also start sharing more about like what you're interested in if you have a you know a really interesting take on web3 if that's where you want to be or you want to showcase um, something through writing and um, to show that you've like really, brought some intelligent thought or rigor to a topic of an industry that you want to get into, post that um, and employers can see it. So it's also this really cool way to um, kind of complement just your background. You can actually start to write posts around the things that you're interested in. And, and again, an employer or hiring manager can can take a look at that and see it as an additional piece of evidence when reviewing your experience. Brilliant point, right? I mean, we always ask for strong written communication skills and almost any like job description I've ever seen. So like you can actually showcase it right there. I never thought about that. I guess that's why you are where you are. Uh, okay, let's talk about interviews. So um, uh, many of the listeners here are going to have their first experience interviewing. How do you prepare for an interview? How do you succeed in an interview? What are some of the common pitfalls? Ooh, okay. This is exciting. I love this topic. Um, okay. So I say, I think there are a couple of things, some that are going to sound obvious and some that I think are simple, but sometimes overlooked. Um, and I'll start with the latter. One piece that I would say, and I was a recruiter, so I can come at, I, I come at it from that angle. Your recruiter, just remember either whether they work at the company um, itself. So just as a reminder for folks, especially coming into the, you know, the, the, the civilian workforce, um, there are, depending on the size of the company, there are recruiters that are employed by the company, right? So at Google, I was a Google employee and I was also a recruiter at Google. So I worked for Google, I got paid by Google, I had Google equity, and I was hiring other people to come become Googlers. Then there are companies who, for whatever reason, maybe the industry they're in or they're smaller and they don't want to hire full-time recruiters, will work with third-party recruiting partners, often called agencies or headhunters, that are also helping to fill those roles for the company. And what's really important to remember is your recruit, just like any industry, some recruiters are incredible, some are not as strong. Um, but I, I really think when you're working with a recruiter, def, they are your advocate in that, pro in that process. They want you to be successful. A recruiter, the world is run by incentives. Recruiters are incentivized to fill the position they're working on with a great candidate that's going to stay at the company for the long term. That is their priority. So they want to help candidates. Again, good recruiters, most recruiters want to help you interview really well. And they, if you ask a recruiter for prep, I would be shocked if they didn't set us a time to do it. So when I was at Google, 
I prepped every candidate before they came on site because it was, it was an incentive for me. I wanted them to be successful. And I also wanted them, you know, to have a good experience with us and to feel prepared for those conversations. So never feel like you are overstepping your bounds or bothering a recruiter by asking them to do some prep that they are, they are the people who know who you're meeting, where they're probably going to dig in, what those people's styles and personalities are like. And that way you can go into conversations feeling like, okay, I know I'm going to meet with Bob. The recruiter told me that Bob is a really matter of fact guy. He's going to be straightforward with me. He's going to cut right to the chase. And so now I'm not blindsided by that. I'm ready for it. And I know kind of what Bob is looking for and the type of conversation we're going to have. I also know Bob's background and that for this role, he's really going to be digging into X, Y, and Z. Whereas when I talk to Melissa next, she has a different role at the organization and she's going to dig into these different parts of the job. And so I'm prepared for that. So definitely prep is everything, but use your recruiter. They're there to make you successful and they have a wealth of information about the role and the, and the place you're working at and the people you'll be meeting more so than you can glean just by doing like a LinkedIn review or doing your research. So lean on the recruiter as much as you can. Um, the other piece is all of this is, by the way, under the umbrella of prep is everything. Um, to me, interviewing is also kind of like preparing for public speaking or for um, a speech you're going to give or anything where you have to speak publicly. You don't want to be doing it for the first time when you get up there. And so it sounds kind of silly, but practice your uh, responses to questions out loud. You can do this with a friend. You can do it in front of a mirror. You can record it on your phone and play it back and hear yourself, which is maybe the number one public speaking tip out there. And it can be used for interviews perfectly. You want to hear, again, this kind of goes back to my point around empathy about like, be the interviewee interviewer for a second. What would, how do I sound to this person? Like, do I sound compelling? Do I have a good story? Am I clear? Am I communicating crisply? Am I making a good point? And it's really helpful to hear yourself and to practice. So there are tons of websites out there. And again, I can share um, a number of links, but there are so many sites out there with test interview questions. And because of sites like Glassdoor and Blind, there are even like specific questions from companies that are leaked. And so you can use those, right, to get an idea of, okay, at Google, they ask these types of questions. At, you know, Coinbase, it sounds like people get asked this type of question. And prep, right, be ready with answers um, and rehearse them. You want to be able to go into your interview feeling excited because I know how I'm going to answer some of these questions that are going to be thrown at me. I feel confident. I practice this. I've like, just like I'm sure in the military, if there's a ton of prep that goes into any mission or any project, it's the same with interviewing. You want to prep um, so that when that question gets sent to you, you're excited because you're going to crush it because um, you've practiced, you've rehearsed. And so um, I think rehearsing, practice, hearing yourself are huge, um, huge for, for prep. And the last thing I'll say is um, it also helps with the nerves because you've practiced this. It's 
become rote to you. You're comfortable. You've done this before. You're not going in blind, but speaking it out loud is, is critical. I, I can't tell you how many times in the military um, rehearsals were everything, right? Rehearsals were everything. Muscle memory, they used to say over and over again, rifle range, wherever else. Um, totally, totally makes sense. So Mark, yeah. imagine you've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of candidates. What makes a candidate stand out in your mind during this process? Oh, yes. So I think there are um, a couple of things that come to mind. One is, can this person, and this goes back to the rehearsal piece, but can this person describe their experience to me and tell their story in a way that is compelling, right? Understandable to me. And um, to be honest, succinct. I have a, one of the biggest turnoffs, I think, for any recruiter or hiring manager is somebody who speaks for, let's say, like 10, 15 minutes straight. Um, if you can't communicate to me clearly and quickly, like why we're having this conversation, the impact you've brought to the organizations you've had, the story that you've kind of formed and you're bringing me along your journey, if you can't do that, it doesn't give me great confidence that you'll be able to communicate really well with peers on the job, give really good feedback to people. If you're a leadership candidate, are you going to be able to share business updates in a crisp, understandable way? If you can't communicate that to me in the interview, then it doesn't give me confidence you can do that on the job when you're being tasked to communicate business updates, project updates, et cetera. So back to the interview piece, the standout individuals are people who have clearly done this before. <laughs> they've, they've rehearsed, they know their story, they, they're proud of their story. They're excited to share it with me. They're like bursting at the seams to say like, here's all this really exciting work that I've done. And I'm really excited, Margaret, to tell you about it because I'm proud of it. Um, and that really comes across um, to me and individuals. Um, the other piece that I think is really important too is the intellectual curiosity. And I know that that's a little cliche to say, but sometimes cliches are around for a reason, right? I, I really um, think most people respond well to candidates, this is both for when I'm interviewing candidates, but I think when any any part of a business is interviewing a candidate, what questions do you bring to the table? So what are you thinking about, um, about the company that showcases to me as your interviewer that you care about the company that you're interviewing at, that you're interested in, in it, that you're authentically excited about what we're trying to do in the space that we're in? Um, so it shows to me, have you done your research? Do you care about this space? Have you read our recent blog post? Have you really given us a lot of thought? Um, and are you actually genuinely interested in this job? Or are you just trying to find a job? Um, and usually people can tell the difference. So I think people, again, who can like crispy art, crisply articulate their experience and they're excited about it. It's hard for me to be excited about you if you're not excited about you. So that's, I think, can you share your experience in a way that really gets me intrigued? And then secondly, do you come with really, really good questions about the position, about the culture, about the company, about what's on the horizon? And I love actually when candidates ask me questions that I don't know the answer to. And I have to say like, let me get back to you. I have to talk to our managing partners about that. I haven't actually, I don't even know that answer. Um, and that always is a good signal to me that this person is really thinking critically about the role in the team. So uh, you talked about this a little bit earlier. The coin fund portfolio has over a hundred active investments, portfolio companies. Um, and across that portfolio, are there certain sectors um, that are that are very hot right now uh, from a job perspective? 
Are there specific roles that are very much in demand? How do you see this landscape of, of jobs? It is incredibly diverse, I would say. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's, it's super exciting because um, I would imagine if I, if I had to imagine this, this likely feels a lot like individuals who were um, joining Google and early stage web two companies in the early 2000s, right? Where there were core jobs they needed to fill that nobody knew how to do. And then there are going to be jobs in web three that we don't even know exist yet. And the same was true for, I remember when I was at Google and things were exploding from like a digital advertising perspective, social, pers- the social channels, the um, cloud storage, like people, they were, these were jobs that five years previously, we would never have known were going to be jobs. And it feels similar in that vein where there are these like brand new jobs that most people have never done, which is really exciting. And what's equally exciting about that is that it also means that people are looking for transferable skills because these are new types of jobs. Um, and so I would say in terms of trends though, I, I, I think it's helpful to understand that, and this is going to be true, by the way, I should caveat, CoinFund is one venture capital firm in the crypto space. There are others, which means we have hundreds of jobs open, but there's more than that because there are other firms that are investing in other crypto and Web3 projects that also need, need headcount. Um, so I'll speak only for the CoinFund portfolio companies that I'm, I'm more directly uh, assimilated with and have exposure to. But I see, you know, there are companies who are really early stage, right? A couple of people who are just looking to build, um, get product market fit and bring that into fruition. And so I tend to see in those functions, a lot of, a lot of founders who actually really need operational um, wizards. So these might be, let's say an engineer or a technologist or a web three technologist who has built, you know, an incredible product, but they have no idea how to bring it to market or they don't understand a sales funnel or they don't understand how to build the operational backbone of a company. And they might be really looking for a right-hand person or someone to join their leadership team who can bring the operational excellence to an idea or to a technology that they've built with a couple of other engineers. Um, So I think the operational piece I see as a major trend. So that's coming across as roles like director of operations or COO. I've also seen that in chief of staff um, positions, which are really kind of like right-hand people to um, a leadership team. So again, somebody who can just make a company itself, the people that create the company flow. We have to remember that like a company is both you know, a group of people, but also the manifestation of an idea that's bigger than any one person. And so I think operational experts are there to help just build the, like the operational piece and to make the business run. And I actually see a lot of opportunity for folks coming from the military to help with that piece. I can't think of a group of people who are more um, efficient and operationally excellent than, um, than veterans. So that's a big trend. The other trend I'm seeing too um, in, in Web3 and crypto is, is actually marketing. Um, I see a lot of, a lot of um, companies who, again, have this incredible idea. The, the founding team understands it, but then they have to go get customers to understand it. Um, and by the way, to sell a product that a lot of people are still unsure because blockchain and crypto and Web3 are still so new. And so how do we translate this like technical um, you know, offering that we have to make it make sense for a consumer. And so um, a lot of a lot of our teams are, are looking for marketing hires as well. 
And then the third, you know, piece, I wouldn't even say this is a trend. I think this is just going to be a constant is engineering. <laughs> there will always, always be a need for engineering and product um, and technical people. And, um, you know, that's going to be just the the backbone of anything that is crypto and Web3. So, yeah, I would say operational uh, roles, uh, marketing positions, and then engineering are like where I see the the main need for across our portfolio companies. Amazing answer. So we talked about your role, right? And a lot of your role is recruiting. You're recruiting internally. You're recruiting for portfolio companies. But of course, you're doing a lot more than that, right? You, you're, one of your greatest passions is around professional development. And so let's like, so we've gone through the resume, gone through the interview, you land a job. What are some of the keys to success as you're starting out, right? What like, what would you recommend that 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 an individual does or doesn't do to start off in that successful career? Yeah, oh, it's such a good question. Um, there are a lot of um, steps you can take, but I think the most important and like the foundation of anything that you do in, in coming into the organization is building trust. Um, and that can manifest in a bunch of different ways, but You'll probably notice like the theme of even from when we started this conversation has been relationship oriented. And keep in mind, like my my job and my product is people. So a lot of my answers are going to be around people. So just keep that in mind. If you're if you're interviewing an, a product person or an engineer, it might look different. But um, I think the most successful people come into an organization and first and foremost kind of drop all of their preconceived notions at the door. They don't try to come in and feel like they need to know everything or need to fix everything right away. They take their time and understand the environment that they're in, um, understand the people with whom they're going to be working and start right away just building relationships and listening. I mean, the most important thing that anybody can do, especially if you're coming into a leadership position, but really in any role, is to spend your first month, I mean, just having conversations and listening to the people who you'll be working with. And something really special happens when you're new um, in that people see this like fresh person who is who has um, no experience working at the company yet. And they tend to just share a lot of really good nuggets about the company and the culture and the problems with you. It just feel I just noticed that where like they just they get excited about a new person and just can't help but like get you up to speed on everything that's been going on and what's top of mind for them and um, what are the major problems or challenges or dynamics at play. And you just get this opportunity to just be a sponge and listen to all of that. Um, and you'll be so much better prepared to make an impact if you understand the environment within your navigating first. So who are the main players? Who are the decision makers? Um, what are some of the like interpersonal dynamics I should be listening to? And where can I be most helpful? So I think the first step is just I know it sounds kind of simple and it could be like borderline boring because I know a lot of people want to come in and like make an impact and drive change and and be influential right away. But I would say resist that urge and try to understand your environment. Um, and I'm sure um, folks in the military have to do this all the time when they're put into new circumstances. You know, you don't just run in. You need to like see what's safe, what isn't safe, what's, what's happening in this um, circumstance that I've prepared for. And I think you can drive a lot of value just by like really listening for the first couple of weeks to a month. Awesome advice. So we talked about networking and how important that was as a career long endeavor. Mm. Uh, I think we'd also agree that professional development is something that you should pursue throughout your career. 
Uh, any best practices around professional development? H how do folks, once they've landed, they're off to a great start? Uh, how should they think about that? Yeah, one of my favorite sayings is um, to get what you want, help other people get what they want. And I think you will reap the rewards um, of networking. I think if you start taking the approach of helping other people. So I think if you, let's say are a veteran who, you know, lands this incredible role um, in a tech company or in web three, I would almost like the first thing to do is to turn around and figure out how do I help another veteran come into this space? Um, and what can I be doing to kind of pay it forward and help? And Chris, you do this all the time. Chris introduces me to, pluses me into emails with, with, with veterans almost every day. And I'm always happy to take those calls and, We've helped place a couple of those veterans in some of our portfolio companies simply because you're making those introductions. And so I think the real goal of networking is to make sure, and this goes for everybody, but just to make sure that it's not all navel gazing, that it's not just all about like, what am I getting out of these relationships and how can this help my career? But as soon as you're, somebody has helped you to turn around and be like, how can I get another veteran in this space or what veteran can I connect this person to, um, and just be seeing like how you can start helping the larger community. And that's going to just I mean, pay you dividends for sure. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge piece for, from a networking perspective. And I would say some people think of networking as, you know, only associated with getting a job. Like I net the, the, the input is networking. The output is me landing a job, but networking is actually much bigger than that. We use networking for everything to hire great people onto your team to find deal flow, to just connect and have like larger ideas outside of just getting a job. So I've networked with a bunch, for example, of women in Web3 and crypto, and it's not for me to get a new job or for to even to find them a job. It's for us to start thinking, what's a really cool idea we could build together or a community we could build to help other women get into Web3 and understand this space. So I would say, think of two things. One, just always think about reciprocity. How can you be giving back? Um, to your network. And then secondly, is to see it as a bigger tool than just landing jobs. Awesome. This has been just incredible content from my perspective. Um, are there other resources or books or podcasts that you, that you think about that people should, uh, should read and get up to speed on? Definitely. So I'm going to share a few that are just my diehard go-to that I'm looking at, if not every day, every couple of days. Um, one is it's so funny. I like try to find articles outside of this resource, but I always, I always end up using them because they're, they're so tactical and so good, but there is a, um, a firm called first round and they have probably some of the best articles and resources out there. So their article, um, library is called first round review. And why I like that space is because the articles are incredibly tactical. So they're everything from how to think about product market fit, how to think about hiring, you know, your first marketing hire, how to think about leading an executive team, but it's all super tactical, like actual steps to do these things. And I really recommend it for anybody who's also looking to change industries because it's just more than opinion and it's more than fluff. You can learn a lot about how a business actually functions and how somebody in a startup, let's call this, let's say like you're the head of product at, you know, Stripe. They have interviews with those people to get really tactical about how they built their team from five to 50 and 
it's really, really helpful for you to, for anyone to understand just how a business is built and scaled. Um, I think they're incredibly helpful and I, I, I reference them all the time. Um, they also have a really good podcast called in depth. That's very good. It's a, it's a compliment to those, to those articles. Um, I'm a huge fan. I know Chris, you, you are too, of the knowledge project, uh, with Shane Parrish. It's, it's, he gets the most incredible guests. Um, everyone from like, I mean, he's had some of the most prolific investors, some of the biggest entrepreneurs, some of the biggest names in like healthcare. He does a huge, um, he does, a, he runs a huge gamut of, of, of people. He has had, he's had military veterans and generals on there. It's just the, the uh, host is great, but his guests are just like, you know, I think top, top notch. So those are my two go-tos in terms of just business learning, but also just professional development and problem solving and decision-making. They're some of my favorite um, resources. So I would say like start with those two because the archive is huge. You'll, you'll go down the rabbit hole. Um, probably the most important question of the session here. You talked about those hundreds of jobs. How do people apply for them? Yeah. So if you go to coinfund.io, you'll see at the top of our, right at the top of our site, um, you can learn about us. We have our blog, but then you'll see jobs in all caps. So you can't miss it. You click on jobs and you'll right away get routed to a list of all of our portfolio companies because there's two ways I would say you can look for roles. You can first look for the projects that you're interested in, right? So if you have really specific parts of Web3 that you're particularly know you want to be in, maybe that's NFT, maybe that's some of the infrastructure companies on the blockchain, maybe that's, you know, the metaverse, right? If there's really specific projects you're interested in or tokens you're interested in, you can sort that way. Like what are the companies that are actually playing in the place that I care about, or you can actually search by job title. So if you want to look for chief of staff roles, or you want to look at operating roles and you're kind of um, company agnostic, that's also a way you can search. So you can go to the jobs page, you can search by company, you can search by, um, you can search by job title, and then it'll quickly link you to the description, to the company and word to the wise, just remember job descriptions are um, just really guidelines that are helping you understand what they're looking for. Um, and don't get, don't feel like certain jobs are not for you. Um, I always encourage people to apply. Um, job descriptions are not perfect. They're actually quite hard to write and to capture everything that everybody's looking for. So I know it can be, um, I know a lot of folks will kind of like just opt out of applying when they see they don't meet every single qualification that's cited in a job description. And I just encourage you not to do that and to apply. You, you really lose nothing and you could gain everything. So don't, don't be intimidated by a job description. Um, that'd be my last piece of advice. Awesome. And Margaret, last question. How can people connect with you? Yes. Okay. You can find me. Um, I'm on Twitter. You can, um, I'm new to the social media game, I have to admit, but you can, uh, I'm on Telegram. I'm on uh, Twitter. You can direct message me anytime. I'm on the Vita Discord channel. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at margaret at coinfund.io. I'd love to hear from you. you are, I just say this to every candidate, but you're never bothering me. I love to hear from you. Um, if I don't get right, if I don't get back to you right away, Apologies, but you can reach out. You can reach out to me in any of those forums. Amazing, amazing content. Thank you so much, Margaret, for coming on the podcast. Man, I learned so much today and I imagine the listeners did as well.
And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do, and, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Please pick me on Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.